and welcome to Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week. My name is Sina Sadzada. I'm the new host of this podcast for season two. I'm so excited to get started. We're going to also have some special guest hosts of the podcast throughout the series to lead the conversations through their world-leading entrepreneurial knowledge and experience, like the episode today. So in today's episode, we take a look back at a conversation from Elevating Founders event at London Tech Week last year with Karen Dahali, founder and CEO of Investor, an award-winning app that helps inspiring investors learn to invest, trade, and grow capital. In conversation with Anne Hyatt, international speaker, angel investor, and author of a recently published book, Bet on Yourself, Anne received her initial business training as the executive business partner to Jeff Bezos and chief of staff to Eric Schmidt, and now consults with executives and companies across the globe to reverse engineer their moonshot goals and get results. Wow. Karim talks with Anne about the magical moments in her career at Amazon and Google, the importance of effective and authentic communication for employees and employers, and Anne's unique perspective and best practices on what it takes to succeed, thrive, and survive in business today. The conversation also explores the key takeaways, challenges, and insights from Anne's new book, Best on Yourself, and holding an optimistic vision for the future. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode, so let's jump straight in. I'm going to now hand over to Karim. Brilliant. So look, Anne, it's absolutely, it's a real privilege uh, to be with you today. You've had just the most amazing career. And as we were just uh, chatting about, I don't know how we're going to get to do it justice in just 25 minutes. Uh, But it's wonderful uh, to have you here to share some of your insights. Now, this is normally, this is a bit of a role reversal for you. (laughs) Usually you're the one asking all the questions. And today you're going to be providing uh, all of the insights and obviously a fireside chat would normally be face to face. So yeah. is this is this the new new norm or do you think we're going to be able to go back to the way things uh, once were? I really hope we can go back to the way things once were. Uh, actually, this is my first full fireside chat uh, fully on Zoom. I've done a lot of recorded talks that were just compartmentalized to me. So a back and forth is interesting this way. But here's hoping the next uh, London Tech Week will be live. Right, exactly. So look, as I was saying earlier, you've had just the most amazing career. You've worked and operated at the highest echelons of some of the companies that frankly have defined um, the way that we live today and with some uh, remarkable entrepreneurs and business uh, and business leaders. Are there any particular highlights or moments that you can that you can share with us? Some particular insights without giving away any confidences that you can share with us? <laughs> That would definitely take more than 25 minutes (laughs) to do that question justice, but I think it's a great one. Um, There were so many highlights, but when people ask me what I miss the most after leaving Google almost three years ago, uh, what I miss the most are the people. I really loved working with the smartest, most mission-driven people in the world every day. Yes, even more than the free food and all the other perks famous on our campus. What I really miss is the Googlers themselves and the people with whom we interacted every day. I think if I had to pick one moment, it would be when Eric and I had a meeting with President Obama in the Oval Office. That was the ultimate. I don't think I'll ever top that. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I'm sure you might you might make it back there one day. So, although you've left, you know, working in large organizations, you continue to consult with some of the movers and shakers around the world. It'd be great to get, you know, your view. What are they thinking? How are they reacting to this uh, to this new world? It's been really inspiring to watch this pivot journey of theirs. 
it's been challenging that all of them kind of went into crisis mode at the same time. But what I'd love to see is that they're actually coming out the other side of this better off than they were before. I think this really accelerated some of their risk taking that might have taken a couple of years before they were brave enough to do. And a lot of purpose has been inserted into every single decision. Nothing has been taken lightly. And that's really brought out, brought out the best in these leaders. Now, I have to say, obviously, it's skewed because the my consulting clients are people who sought out yeah, uh, a little bit of help. So they're people who are already very self-aware and thoughtful about being the best leader they can possibly be for their teams. But every single one of them without fail has made some really tough, data-driven, risk-taking decisions and come out the other side better for it. And um, what is, I mean, that, that sounds great. That's very encouraging. And what are the things that they turned to you, you know, for and said, Anne, I need help with this? What were their priorities? The priorities were morale of the teams, especially in the early years, helping them feel like they still had a cohesive culture when there was so much unknown, and also around communication. They wanted to be very thoughtful about how to present themselves as leaders when they still didn't know the answer. And so we spent a lot of time on remembering that it's not only the what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, but the why. And sometimes what the team needed to hear was why we don't know yet. Here's the data we're waiting for. Here's when we're going to be able to make a decision there and there. And then the employees relaxed. But if that wasn't properly communicated, we got some disconnection and some concern. And uh, we got a lot of fatigue when we couldn't yet see a light at the end of the tunnel. So if I had to oversimplify, it would be those two things of really keeping the morale and the cohesion alive and over communicating, especially on the why. So that probably takes quite a lot of courage as a leader to turn to their team and to say, you know what, I don't have the answers today, um, but we're going to work through this together. Have, have, have leaders, do you think, done a good job at adapting to that kind of a kind of a world? I think this was the hardest one. This was the hardest one for sure, because you still want to present yourself with authority. You want them to feel like an adult is in the room, someone steering the ship. But I think the, the greatest example I can think of was a client of mine who was having a personal crisis in the middle of this pandemic crisis. Uh, his daughter had just been diagnosed with cancer just pre-pandemic, like a month before. And so that was very unknown in his team. Of course, the whole company was in this major pivot moment. And there was just a day at the all hands when he just stopped pretending he knew any of the answers and he just shared with them what was going on and how he was feeling. And that changed everything, that kind of authenticity of we're in this together and you can bring your whole self to work, even if that's some of your concerns. That really created some authentic mentorships and inspiration and, and um, opportunities to share that freed them up for everyone to just be their whole selves. And then they were in a position to really um, push some things and, and take some risks together because they felt like they had each other's backs. They didn't have to be perfect. That's amazing. And that's actually very bold, very, very, very inspiring. Now, do you think some of these changes are temporary changes that have been induced by the pandemic? Or do you think some of these changes are changes that we were going to experience anyway, and we just sort of brought it all forward because of the because of the situation? There have been some momentary measures that I don't think will be the new normal. I don't think most companies will be fully remote permanently going forward, for example. But I think overall, what I've seen is most of the decisions that have been made and the pivots made were those that needed to happen anyway. 
And this gave them the no choice but to be brave scenario where they really accelerated their company's growth and doubled down on what was working and what wasn't and gave them permission to make some hard decisions, perhaps in personnel changes or the way they were motivating their teams or serving their customers that should have happened anyway. And that's why I say they're better off on the other side because I think it accelerated that growth by at least five years. They might have been not quite bold enough to do it this fast otherwise. Right. So now that's a privileged group of people who get the benefit of your advice uh, day, day in, day out. How do you think, you know, you know, more broadly business or society has coped with the changes that you know, we've had to make? What I really am encouraged to see, even at the most foundational or novice levels of entrepreneurship, is this recentering around mission, vision and values. That sounds so light and so maybe fluffy and something that used to be on your lobby wall, but people have really realized that that is your North Star and your compass that gives you, when, when the world feels so heavy, if you have that passion alignment in your work and within your team, it pulls you, it gives you that energy. The energy exchange is really different. So I, if I was to talk in generalities, and especially with our millennials, our young entrepreneurs who are naturally more purpose-driven, I think, and looking for those causes that align with their personal values, I see a lot of really exciting things happening. And honestly, that's something that I have to coach and drive my more advanced CEOs to come back to when uh, making some really hard decisions because the answer always lies in there. Right. Now, you mentioned earlier the need for over-communication. Yeah. So how does that how does that happen? What are the What are the mediums that people use these days to communicate mission, value, and purpose? Because you can't be telling a mission, vision, and values. You can't be telling people every day, this is our mission. So how do, how do you do that in a, in a way that's effective and authentic, uh, but still you know gets, gets the message across? Yeah, I think you make a really good point. It's important that we insert these core messages in multiple different ways and coming from different priorities and angles. For example, how are you doing team celebrations right now? Are we celebrating some wins that really highlight an underlying value? Are we um, promoting someone and sharing them as a star performer that week in our shares? Are we um, doing some kind of fun game night after work? I just uh, interviewed someone on my podcast. Um, she works at Ikea and they just did a, on a Zoom scavenger hunt. And that for her, because playfulness is such an important value in her team of that uh, source of their creativity. So I think there's creative ways you can help people hear and reinforce those values in multiple ways, much more than just telling. It's so much more in the showing as you do so well on your team. <laughs> so it's about institutionalizing it, making it part of uh, kind of the way people, way people work. So there are two there are two perspectives here. There's the way that leaders have approached change, and then there's the way that the teams have approached change. So if I'm a leader, I've got the benefit of your advice and hopefully end up doing you know doing the right thing and communicating in the right way. But as an employee, how am I, how do I behave in this new norm as an employee? Because I let's say I'm not in the office, I don't get active coaching from a boss who's kind of supervising me every day. As an employee, how do I how do I behave in this new world? I love this question because no matter what role you're in or how close it does or doesn't resemble your dream job, there is something you can do, especially in this post-pandemic opening that we're experiencing right now. I would love to just uh, recommend everyone go read Amy Rezineski's work. She's a professor at Yale, and she has something that she calls job crafting. It's genius. She has a great short five-page article, an HBR article that I highly recommend that shows you how to align and accelerate 
your um, your responsibilities within your current job today? How can you craft it to highlight your skills, what you want to learn, what you want to experience, and center your work around your values? There's a lot more you can do right now than you might realize, but that has to be done proactively. That usually doesn't happen reactively, but she's got a great methodology to walk people through exactly how to do this, no matter what career stage you are or how little authority or informal authority you currently have. So the message is you've got to, you've got to take the initiative, you've got to be proactive, you've got to rely on yourself. You can't wait for it to come to you. You've got to go and you've got to go and get it yourself. I mean, I think that's just a fantastic, uh, fantastic message. Now you put out an amazing newsletter and you have great podcasts and you provide a lot of this really helpful advice and, and resources as well, which I find, I find great uh, on a regular basis. So it, you know, kudos for doing all of that. But in addition to all of that, you've also you know, recently written a book or you're about to publish a book yeah. or it's about to come out, which and I love the title. It's called Bet on Yourself. And I, I can't think of a title that is more appropriate to this empowered world that we're, you know, that we're discussing. Why, tell, tell us a little bit about you know, writing a book. Why, firstly, why did you write it? It was by popular demand, honestly. Some, some people have this on their bucket list that they want to be a published author. That's just an important thing they want to do before they die. That wasn't my motivation. It was a couple years of speaking at conferences and people asking me as I came off stage, please tell me you have a book. I want to hear more about that. Um, and so I realized that I have had such a privileged elite education working for some of the greatest business minds of our generation, perhaps of centuries or of all time. Um, and I want to transfer that elite education that sits in my brain into as many entrepreneur entrepreneurial minds as possible. So I know that sounds all like very cliche and altruistic, but it's really, that was my motivation. So what I want to do, I wrote this um, so it can be read two ways. One was that it can be read narratively. So I share a lot of really fun, crazy stories of what it was like in the dawn of the internet and forming the ground, <laughs> just the ground level of the companies that are pervasive in our daily lives now. Um, so there's a lot of fun stories there, but what, what really motivated me the most to do I, boy, writing a book was way harder. Everyone told me it would be hard and it was way harder than I thought it would be. But what made me keep going was that I hope it, people read it as a manual. I use my career as a guide because sometimes when you look at Jeff Bezos or Eric Schmidt or Google and Amazon, it feels unrelatable to us average normal people, right? But what I wanted people to see was the way in which I, as a normal person could translate the best practices of these incredible celebrity CEOs into my career. Even when I was the junior most person at Amazon, I was actively taking those and applying and experimenting. And so I've kind of figured out a formula for what does and doesn't work outside of Silicon Valley and different career stages. And so this can be read as a, as a playbook for how you too can create exceptional opportunities for yourself out of ordinary resources. So this isn't just a book for global CEOs. It's not just for you know Eric and Jeff, as I like to call them. But uh, it's not just for them. It's for it's for it's for all of us to appreciate yeah. how to how to survive, how to thrive in a big organization. Um, and so it's written with a with, so we should all be out there. Yeah. I specifically had three categories in mind when I wrote it. First is the entrepreneurs just coming out of this crisis who maybe have just graduated from university. I too graduated just after a, a global crisis. I graduated in 2002 from undergrad, right after the dot-com bust. I um, studied in Seattle 
And so that's a very tech heavy economy, which disappeared. Trillions of dollars disappeared overnight and there weren't opportunities. So I know personally what that feels like when options appear so limited. Um, turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened because I ended up at Amazon where I probably wouldn't have had that crisis not happened. Then 2008 at Google in the economic crisis and now as a startup CEO myself in a crisis. So I was writing it for those three categories. Those who are just starting out your careers in this moment, those who are mid-level managers wanting to level up and being seen as a leader for the first time or get that big client account or get a promotion, or those who are now making maybe your side hustles, your main hustle, and becoming a startup founder for yourself, as I did six months before the pandemic started. <laughs> so I definitely can understand very personally how that feels because I've done it three times now. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot in there for, for, for a lot of different people. Um, and the key takeaways from the book, what would you say the kind of the main the main messages or are there lots of different messages, but what are the what are the main the main takeaways? The main takeaways are, are the biggest lessons I've learned for the CEOs I've worked for, how to implement that into any life and career, because this only isn't only career advice for me. This is about how to live an adventurous, fulfilling, value driven life which can be enriched by things outside of our work, maybe uh, impact in the community or your family or reinserting some, uh, some meaning where you might feel like some of that has disappeared. Uh, and really, if I could just summarize it or boil it down into just one takeaway, it's that you have more opportunity to sit in the driver's seat of your life and you can be the leading star of your own life movie. And I just, if people walked away with that feeling of, I've got some choices here and I am more empowered than I realized and I know exactly where to get started today. That's my goal with anyone reading the book. All right, and that, that obviously ties in with, I mean, I want to talk about it in just a second, kind of this theme of empowerment, but it ties in beautifully with the with the title, Bet on, Bet, Bet on Yourself, which I just think is uh, is amazing. So you, you embarked on writing a book. Uh, what was it like? I mean, tell us about the process. I mean, for other people who've got writing a book on, on their bucket list, I've been trying to write a book for over 30 years now. What is it like to write a book? What were the what were the biggest challenges and, and hurdles that you faced? This would definitely take a few hours to do it justice. So <laughs> ping me if you're in this. I will I will tell you all the things I learned the hard way, Cream, and help you write your book because you should. I want to learn from you even more. Um, so pro tip number one: have a very very detailed outline. You don't don't start writing with a blank page. Write the outline. See how the concepts come together because. Let me tell you, even with what I thought was a very detailed outline, and I'm a detail-oriented person, I got a little lost along the way. The flow of it, the structure of it, where I was going with something. And do that before, if you want to do the pu traditional publishing route, do all of that before you reach out to an agent. Um, it's really important that you find a book agent who specializes in that type of messaging, who knows that audience really well, and has connections with publishers who are emphasizing that type of work. I didn't know any of this before I started. Um, I did everything the wrong way. <laughs> I also didn't know what I didn't know. And so I wrote a full first draft of the book that I essentially had to put in a paper shredder and glue together in a completely different way. Oh. That was really hard. Enter the pandemic, mid that process, the rewrite of version two of the book. I ended up getting um, locked in the States. I had flown to from Spain to the States um, to speak at a conference at South by Southwest, got stuck there when Spain closed its border. So I finished writing the book in my parents' home, in the bedroom I had in high school, um, finishing that version of the book. But it is a labor of love. But I feel like if you, if you have a very clear idea of your own individual voice 
a unique angle on a topic that's very much in need right now and anticipate what people are going to be talking about three years from now. That's the hardest part because if you go with a traditional publisher, it is not fast, which um, was really hard for me. I'm used to like very fast production schedules and launch events. And so the pace at which things happen in traditional publishing can be very slow. And um, I knew that, but experiencing it was another thing. And then those who want to self-publish, it's a little bit different, but I think that having a very clear outline and a real handle on who you are and how your voice is uniquely received is the most important part. That's amazing. All right. That's, I mean, that almost sounds like a book in itself, how to write a book <laughs> right, by Anne Hyatt. So that, that's amazing. I want to talk a little bit about um, the future. And I want to ask you a question actually that you asked me uh, a little while back. As you know, I'm an optimist uh, about the future. I think, you know, we've touched on this, uh, this theme today several times. I think the biggest trend in the world today is the empowerment of the individual. And that's being driven by the information revolution, the health revolution so that we can live longer, and also the, the energy uh, revolution as well. And as you know, at Investor, what we do is we empower people to take charge of their money. Basically, we help them invest smarter. So for us, for me, the world is moving in a very, very positive way. Despite all the, all the issues that we've encountered uh, recently, I think the world overall is moving in a, in a really, really positive way by giving us as individuals more power and more autonomy to do things for ourselves. And that's why I just love um, you know, your, your, your overall theme. Show us what makes you optimistic about the world. What are the things that you find, you know, where do you find inspiration? What, what makes you, gives you such a positive outlook on the world? Well, first, I just, this is why you and I are so aligned. I too am an optimist and I so believe in those same things that give me hope for the future and that I think are the most important issues for us all to be tackling. I just really admire your leadership in those spaces. But if I had to pick one single thing that gives me hope for the future, it's honestly these new entrepreneurs. And I don't necessarily mean that by the young ones who are just coming out of school. I mean that maybe as those who are just self-identifying as an entrepreneur. Maybe you've been working in a very traditional career and in the pandemic realized that all the adults that we thought were in the room making the important decisions and like keeping us all safe and anticipating needs aren't there. And I want more of those voices to come out, more people to realize that they have an opportunity to impact their families, their companies, their lives, their careers. And that insertion of new energy of people feeling so mission driven to put their values into their communities that make the world the place they want it to be going forward. That gives me the most hope for the future, because I think the traditional definition of entrepreneurship is old and we can do away with that. People can self-identify and see an opportunity. No goal or life is too small or too big to be worthy of investment. And I want people to embrace that and really run full force into this future. I mean, that sounds amazing. I mean, if I summarize that, I think what you're saying is you believe in people. Fundamentally, you believe in people uh, and people have agency and people uh, and some people, you know, like to run with that and achieve things. Uh, but basically, it's about believing in people and helping people uh, achieve, you know, what they're what they're capable of achieving. So I think that's I think that's fantastic. Look, I think along as we go through these revolutions, there are going to be hiccups. You know, as we, you know, the kind of the counterfoil to the theme of empowerment is, I think, is one of fragmentation because we've basically changed the whole structure of information and power in the world, and we're seeing disruption at a political and a social and economic level. So I think there are some hurdles that we're going to, you know, that we're going to face along the uh, along the, the path 
forward. But I think this this overwhelming theme is going to carry us through. And so I think you know people like you believing in people, helping people achieve their uh, ambitions. I think that's that's really that's really really amazing. So I just want to end. Uh, we need to talk about the book. I mean, tell tell us um, where where can we learn more about the book? Because I'm sure everything we've talked about today is encapsulated in the book. And as you said, it's a manual. We can go and refer to it several times. So where where do we learn more about the book? Um, you know, when is it uh, when is it coming out? Where can we buy it? Uh, share with us those things. Thank you. Um, so the easiest place to get all of those answers to all of those questions is on the book's website, which is betonyourselfbook.com. And on betonyourselfbook.com, you will see links to everywhere you can buy it. It's everywhere you normally buy books right now, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, all the places you might automatically go and have your credit card stored. Um, and then the publication date is October 12th in the States, and I think it's November 25th in the UK and across Europe but you don't have to wait until that day. I didn't know until I became a published author that the most important part of the sales cycle is the pre-sale. So the list, those who are the supplying the book, retailers, um, press, and also the bestseller lists, all look at the six months before your publication date as an indicator of enthusiasm around the book. So anyone who wants to support me, it would mean so much to me if you would go ahead and pre-order it now, because those count even more than later, but I'll, I'll take it sharing this message anytime. And also if you pre-order it, I'm giving away some uh, full chapters for free right now. So you don't have to wait to dig your teeth into it. You get a little teaser as well as a thank you. So that's all on the website. No, that, sound, that sounds amazing because we're all hopefully going to have a little bit of time for vacation and some opportunity uh, to read it. And also in the meantime, before we get to read the book, we can also uh, sign up to your newsletter and follow you on LinkedIn and and, uh, and other places as well uh, to benefit from all your amazing, uh, amazing insights. Look, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure uh, chatting to you today. I love your energy. I love the theme. And thank you so much for sharing your insights both today and also through your published work. Thanks so much, Anne. Thank you, Kareem. 25 minutes with you is never enough. I appreciate <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thanks so much. Thank you. So that's it for this episode of Elevating Founders. If you have any questions or comments, please head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatingfounders at informer.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to our podcast because we've got some amazing episodes coming up that I can't wait for you guys to hear. So thank you again so much for listening. My name's been Sina and I'll catch you in the next episode. See you next time. Bye.